Alrighty, friends, we are back with your favorite podcast show of the week. It is Location Weekly. It's episode number 552. We are recording live on January the 18th. Uh, Brianna, how's it going? It's going. It's good. You know, had a, a nice uh, long weekend thanks to celebrating one of our, you know, big champions here in the States, uh, Martin Luther King Day yesterday. So um, just getting back into it. It's Tuesday. That feels like a Monday. So good thing is we had a long weekend. Bad thing is you got to pack everything into four days. You know, one of those yeah. things, but um, yeah. things are good. How about you? What's new? Yeah, it's good. It's uh, we didn't have a holiday uh, here, but um, yeah, we did get a ton of snow, which is unusual uh, for us here in Toronto. Um, yeah, a lot. Like we got uh, a couple of feet of snow in a matter of like 10 hours. So it's, uh, yeah, people are still digging out and um, city's still cleaning up. But because uh, it's so weird, it was like green grass still, you know, on Saturday. So I don't, I don't know. But anyhow, we're dealing with that. And um, yeah, other than that, you know, everything's good. I was supposed to be at NRF uh, right now, but uh, obviously uh, with COVID and all of that and travel uh, advisories, I decided not to go. But um, I know some people are there and, uh, you know, we've been seeing a few announcements come out of there this week, so. Yeah, the snow missed New York. I think a lot of our friends in the South um, definitely got hit with snow, South Carolina, North Carolina. Uh, Atlanta got a, a dusting enough to, uh, you know, piece together like, you know, three inch snowmen from what I see on my <laughs> <laughs> social media feed from friends. Um, so yeah, Texas even, huh? It's like, yeah, the most places. Yeah, right up. Yeah, I don't know. Everybody got it a little bit. So it's a, it's a big storm. Anyways. Um, yeah. All right, well, let's just jump into it. Uh, we've got four stories as usual this week, uh, acquisitions, some interesting partnerships. So I'll let Aubriana kick us off. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because um, this is a an acquisition story and we covered, I had to go through back, back through the archives of the episodes. I know we covered Octopus Interactive um, and episode 410. So that's circa, you know, April, 2019. And here we are nearly two years later, and um, T-Mobile has made an acquisition of this, this company. So if you don't remember, um, this is a rideshare-focused advertising startup where they convince Uber and Lyft drivers to put these um, tablets in the back of their car so they can sell the video advertising, digital advertising um, that riders can use. They can play games, they can watch content, obviously see ads uh, there in as well. Um, and what's interesting here is that we've seen a lot of the telcos be, you know, starting to exit out of this ad tech play. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of acquisitions throughout the years, and then many of them starting to say, hey, there's obviously, you know, some bad press here with the has potential of happening where we're selling our consumers data or using that and um, you know, and, and just kind of the backlash there. But T-Mobile is getting is getting further into it. Um, there haven't, haven't been any terms of the deal that was shared, but it looks like the, you know, 50-ish or so employees that are with Octopus Interactive will be staying and be included in the deal. You know, we saw T-Mobile previously with a push spring deal. Um, but what's interesting is that for anything advertising related, T-Mobile actually doesn't target any iOS. Um, they just have taken that stance that they will not be targeting iOS. 
Um, now, I don't know that that means that they don't display ads on iOS or that they just don't use that data for a targeting perspective. Um, but, you know, four out of every five viewers that are in an Uber or Lyft are iOS users. So that's kind of interesting um, here. But I think that perhaps what they're looking at this more is just a foray into opening up new budgets in the advertising ecosystem for them. This is like an entry into video and digital out of home, potentially even, you know, opening up TV budgets at some point. Um, so I think this is you know, from a diversification of, of interests, I think this is a good place for T-Mobile to be um, getting into. And, you know, there's other sources of data that they can use, obviously, besides their own, um, any in many ways that they could potentially bring in for any of their ad tech, um, you know, acquisitions and how they wanna play that game. So it's interesting. I think this is one to keep an eye on and, and watch and see how this progresses, right? Yeah, I, I think it's very interesting. As, as you pointed out, I think um, <clears throat> a lot of the mobile operators, the carriers have kind of experimented over the years, you know, had limited success pulled out of, of this type of space. But it's, uh, I, I think, you know, with all the changes in, in, uh, in privacy rules and, and, you know, sort of uh, limitations that have been put on the industry, you know, I think the companies that are you know, have survived that or found ways to continue like an octopus or others, you know, um, there, there's, there's sort of ripe for consolidation right now in the market because I think people are starting to realize, okay, you know, we're, we're not completely abandoning this space. We need to figure out, you know, what is our, our advertising, you know, tech play here and obviously programmatic type of advertising, you know, whether it's out of home or, you know, mobile or, you know, TP or whatever. Um, uh, I, I think, you know, all of that becomes, you know, valuable, you know, technology and valuable uh, space right now. And, and I think brands and advertisers are still always, as always, looking for, you know, ways to, you know, to engage, right, and, and find that audience. So I, I, I like the deal. I think it's, um, you know, anytime I see a deal like this, I go, okay, well, you know, what are, you know, what's AT&T going to do? What's, you, you know, what, what's the uh, competitive moves yet to happen? So, um, <clears throat> I suspect, as we've seen in the past, when, you know, somebody launches a geo-targeted SMS service, they all try it, right? And then, you know, so, so um, you know, with, with, with this, I, I suspect that, you know, we'll see similar plays, you know, from, from the others and, you know, acquisitions accordingly. So uh, if you're in the space, if you're like an octopus, you know, this should be a signal for you to, you know, start uh, waving the flag for uh, you're up for sale. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, moving on to our second story. So another acquisition uh, here at home in Canada for me, uh, Vendasta uh, has acquired Matchcraft uh, from Advanced Local. Um, so uh, Advanced Local, if you don't know them, they're big publisher of, uh, you know, local content, newspapers, websites, um, they're part of Advanced Publications. Uh, they acquired Matchcraft back in 2014. Uh, Matchcraft's been around for a long, long time, since 1998. Um, and uh, yeah, they focus on selling, you know, ad services to uh, SMBs, paid search, et cetera, et cetera. Vendasta is uh, a company that's been providing, you know, local search and, and uh, advertising solutions to SMBs for a long time uh, and has kind of taken the approach of, 
you know, sort of being a marketplace, uh, providing many different vendor solutions under sort of one uh, banner, if you will, um, and, uh, you know, white labeling some of those solutions and, and so on. And so, um, you know, Vendasta is, is Canadian company based here in Saskatoon, Canada. I had the great privilege uh, earlier this year in October, I went out to Saskatoon and spent some time with uh, with Brendan King, the CEO, and toured their new office, a great space. Uh, they're growing, you know, like gangbusters right now, raised a, a bunch of capital, um, uh, you know, which obviously they're, you know, parlaying into these types of acquisitions. They've been acquiring companies um, you know, all over the place the last little while. So, you know, I, I like this deal. I think culturally, uh, the two companies are very similar. It's a good fit, uh, together. Um, you know, the plan is to keep the Matchcraft offering, you know, uh, operating as, uh, you know, maintaining that brand equity and, and the name, um, you know, as a sort of standalone autonomous company. Um, I think currently, you know, the Matchcraft solutions are sold, you know, um, you know, as a white label offering anyways, they don't go direct to client. Um, so I think it, it fits very well that way uh, as well, um, because that's how a lot of the Vendasta, you know, offerings are, are delivered. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, if you're in that world of paid media, you know, and um, uh, paid search and, and uh, you, know, lo you know, local search optimization and things like that, these are companies that are, you know, big, big players in, in our industry. And uh, it's nice to see that, um, you know, the some of these guys joining together and, and finding that fit. Yeah, not a whole lot. To, say not a whole lot to add to that, Asif. I mean, um, you know, I think that it's great when you see so, so much compatibility between an acquisition or a merger that's happening. And this very much seems to fall into that bucket. So, um, you know, I'm happy to, to see that happening. And obviously we love hearing stories coming from uh, people that you and I have seen like grow throughout the years and kind of been a part of. So very interesting stuff. Um, so let's go over across the pond to London here, uh, Deliveroo. And this is, if you're not familiar with them, is an online food delivery company. You know, think of it as Uber Eats, DoorDash type of a deal. And they are, you know, setting out to solve a product marketing challenge, really just to determine product market fit and better understand the pain points of their customers and restaurants um, that are their customers, right, that use their platform. And so they've decided that in order to do this, they're going to open a restaurant in London. Um, so they are going to open a pizza, um, I believe it's a pizza parlor, I love that they call it a parlor, um, a pizza parlor in London, and they are going to manage a restaurant that offers both dine-in service and delivery service. Um, so, you know, this is to me very interesting as a product marketer and trying to determine like, what is the fit? What is the exact pain points? Um, I love that they're just really immersing themselves in it and doing this. You know, I'm not sure that the same pain points are going to be exact for every single restaurant, but I think the largest ones that they should be trying to solve, um, they're going to figure out exactly what those are by, by taking this approach. So I think this is um, phenomenal from a research perspective and just like really diving in. Um, apparently DoorDash had a similar, a similar platform um, program where they had employees do delivery shift or shadowing. So they would go into a restaurant and kind of just like shadow 
but you know, I think that really like opening and running everything nuts and bolts is going to give them a better idea also of what a restaurant owner's pri uh, priorities are going to be. Like what are the, not only the pain points, but what are the things that they have the time to implement and set up and how can they be of better service um, to come in and, and, and solve those. So um, in November, you know, there are just some extra things about, about Deliveroo and kind of the moves that they're making. They had an agreement with a French frozen food company, Picard, Picard Group, um, to provide these express deliveries in more than 100 cities throughout France. And they're already running about 300 dark kitchens or ghost kitchens where, you know, we've talked about this before, but the idea of having multiple brands, multiple restaurants uh, come in and they can kind of use that kitchen um, exclusively for delivery. And, you know, it was interesting. There was um, there was like a documentary that I was watching with my husband not too long ago about these types of dark kitchens and ghost kitchens. And basically there was um, a very interesting kind of documentary that went through this one kitchen that just diversified its brand. Um, it was Asian style food, but they had about 30 different menus um, all by the same company, right? All under different names, all under different branding because they each had different things, but they were all cooked in the same place, um, different price points and everything. It was very interesting to see just like how, you know, these dark and ghost kitchens are, you know, catering to multiple types of people, right? There's lots of different targeting that's out there. And from a branding perspective or kind of figuring out how that fits, I think that's very interesting as well. So, you know, they're doing this already. So I'm sure they're getting some intel from that side as well. Um, and then they also began working on like this fast grocery deliveries, opening a dark store um, in London with their supermarket partnership with Morrison's chain. So they're making a lot of really interesting moves, I think. Um, and I I'm like very uh, keen on the business process and the strategy that they're taking here. Um, so I'm excited to see what comes out of this and, and what do they actually figure out from, you know, the, the pain points. And I, I worked in a restaurant many years all through college, you know, bartended, waited tables. And I think it's a something that everybody should be required to do just from a uh, human perspective and learning how to treat people and, and work ethic. But I think, you know, now the problems for restauranteurs has, has changed, right? And going through a pandemic and how we deliver food and how we service customers and make things more convenient um, is, is evolving very, very quickly. So I really um, expect to see some, some big things from, from these investments that they're making. I, uh... I completely agree with you. I love this story. Um, you know, I, I, I think anytime you're, you have a, you have a business, whatever that business is, the more you can know and learn about, you know, the sort of full, you know, vertical, uh, supply chain and, and positioning of, of, you know, what gets you to market, right. In this case, you know, we're a delivery company, you know, we want to know what it's like for the restaurants that, you know, we're delivering for. And so we're going to go operate in our own restaurant so we can learn the challenges that they face, you know, and maybe go all the way down to, you know, the, you know, the, the food growers and, and everything else. And, and so this whole idea of sort of vertical integration, you know, makes a ton of sense to me. Right. And I think increasingly, like, you know, you used to see, you know, a lot of the, you know, sort of the big, you know, Coca-Colas and Pepsis and, 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 you know, Cargill's of the world, 
you know, you know, decades ago took those approaches of like, hey, you know, we're not just selling you, you know, the, you know, the, the stuff in the, in the vending machine, but we want to actually own the chemical company that makes the chemicals that go into our product. And we want to, you know, and, and kind of take that approach. And I'm not saying that, you know, these delivery companies should all also operate, you know, restaurant chains, but I'm saying it's important to understand you know, the challenges and understand the impact that that's going to have on your business. And the more you do that, the better you do at operating your own business and find efficiencies um, that are there. So, so I'm really encouraged to see, you know, delivery doing this, um, you know, and the fact that they're doing it, you know, you know, with the dark grocery stores and other things too, you know, makes a ton of sense to me. So I expect we're going to see, you know, more and more companies kind of follow suit here. But I think it's uh, it, it, it's it's great to see this sort of you know sort of forward thinking and you know public sharing of the fact that hey you know we're we're doing this because we really want to learn we really want to be a company that's not just you know taking a huge fee on top of you know delivering you know this restaurant's you know uh, food uh, but we really want to understand the pain points you know of the restaurant industry. Uh, and figure out, you know, where where we can find those efficiencies and have, you know, a better relationship, you know, with our our partners and those within our ecosystem. So, I quite like it. All right, final story. Um, coming back over here to the U.S. now, uh, Sally Beauty, which is a very big uh, beauty uh, chain, has uh, decided that they're going to jump into the data analytics business. Um, so. You know this this is a trend that you know you and I have been talking about for the last year or so we've we've covered CVS and Walgreens and Kroger and uh, several others that have said look you know we're not just retailers anymore we're you know data companies as well um, and we have a lot of data about you know how many transactions we're doing and who's shopping in our stores and how often the people are shopping and you know uh, what they're what they're purchasing and you know all that kind of stuff um, and so, you know, maybe there's a way that we can figure out to kind of make that data available to others and monetize that and create that as a revenue stream for us uh, on top of our normal sort of retail, you know, goods business. Um, and so Sally Beauty is uh, kind of, you know, taken a page out of that book and gone down that path. They've struck a partnership with Nielsen IQ uh, as the exclusive information provider for Sally Beauty. Uh, this includes, um, you know, utilization of the Nielsen IQ merchandising solutions, pricing, promotion tools, uh, measurement tools, um, and uh, according to uh, the report that I was reading, Nielsen IQ is going to measure an additional two billion dollars through this partnership of, you know, beauty and personal care sales that they weren't measuring before. Um, so um, obviously that that speaks to the size of this industry just just that alone um, you know that this is this kind of partnership is an additional two billion dollars um, so uh, yeah so so I think this is interesting you know um, Sally Beauty is not new to tech partnerships they've been you know pretty forward-thinking uh, over the years they've uh, worked with uh, Revionics which is an AI based uh, pricing platform um, uh, you know, to kind of figure out, you know, uh, performance-based pricing uh, for, you know, their, their products that they sell in their marketplace. You know, they've, you know, played around with, uh, you know, delivery and, and other things as well. So, you know, they're, uh, they're constantly innovating. And I think if they can figure out a way to unlock their data 
and you know turn that into a revenue stream like some of the others that we've talked about i think that uh they'll be you know sort of well well suited and and uh serve to do that so what are your thoughts yeah so i think there's two sides to this um one i do love that something that i would consider a very old school type of a retailer like sally beauty you know you walk it i haven't been into a sally beauty in years but I know that it always was like a little bit stale, you know, it's not like an exciting environment. And a lot of times the shoppers there tend to be actual um, professionals that have a license that can get that, you know, discount, but they have a good variety of, of items if you're looking for something that is, you know, of a professional grade that you may not be able to find at CVS or Walmart or Target. So I think it's great that they are starting to look at other ways they can monetize, you know, their data and their assets. I think that's um, a huge step in the right direction for them. What I do have a little bit of question or concern about is, um, you know, the partner that they chose with this uh, for Nielsen. I know Nielsen is huge on measurement, but there's been a lot of, you know, especially in, I would say more specifically towards the CTV space, though, you know, with Nielsen losing their MRC accreditation and things of that nature happening. I do question, is that something that's going to follow suit across all of their product offerings? Um, or is this, you know, specific uh, offering kind of uh, insulated from any any criticism there but I think that I'm I would be surprised if this is an exclusive deal and if there's not additional ways that they could um, partner and work across the industry here you know we we talked about I think it was Catalina with um, the CPG integration not that long ago you know last week or the week before and so I, I think we're seeing more and more need for this type of SKU level data um, and intelligence, but we're also um, seeing more diversity come in and more inputs. So I think this is just right now, it's like it is a little bit uh, untamed, if you will, where everybody's kind of trying to figure out how to do their own thing. And perhaps over the next year or two, we'll see more of these brands and retailers streamline um, that data. So perhaps it's going into one larger source um, or larger sources so that there's more offerings within one specific place to get that data versus kind of handpicking here and there. But I think this, this is the beginning of that. And, um, you know, I think this is also the beginning of Sally Beauty getting into um, a tech foray. So that's exciting and something to watch. Yeah. And, and I mean, and they're not like a small player. I mean, they have 5,000 stores, you know, across the country. It's, uh, you know, big footprint. Um, so big opportunity, yeah. I think, in terms of, you know, uh, numbers and customer interactions and transaction data and, and volume. So it, it's, it, I think it's interesting. And, you know, like I said, like this is a sort of a growing trend that we've been watching for the last little while, right? In terms of these types of retailers getting into, you know, trying to figure out ways to monetize their data. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll follow along. So um, anyways, so that's our show for this week, everybody. Uh, four stories there. Thank you for listening and watching. Uh, it's been episode number 552 of Location Weekly. Please reach out to us if you have story ideas, feedback. Uh, we'd love to hear it. And uh, just thank you. Uh, we'll see you next week. Okay. Have a good one. Bye.